So, do you recall the last time that you were really hungry? Hopefully, not right now. But where where you just felt those hunger pangs, and man, you were just really hungry. Well, I have some advice. Don't go to HEB when you're that hungry. Because if you go to HEB when you're really hungry, you'll buy all kinds of junk food, and then you get to the checkout, you're like, whoa, what was I thinking? Or same thing, if you're going to go to like a nice restaurant, I know there aren't a whole lot of those around here, but if you go to a really nice restaurant, you don't want to go when you're starving. Because what will happen is, you'll, you'll, you'll see the menu and the pictures, and you'll start ordering the appetizers, and yeah, get one more appetizer, and, and then you order the steak, and, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the meal, you're so full. And there, there, there's like this funny thing about being full, is you can't remember having been hungry before. And then the bill comes. And then you're like, what were we thinking? Who ordered the duck? And you're like freaking out because the bill is just overwhelming. And it just goes to show us that there's this thing called hunger. And hunger can really drive us. And hunger can prevent us from thinking clearly. And oftentimes we can make very foolish choices just because we're hungry. But on the other side of it, being satisfied. Now that is beautiful. God has created us to have not just bodies, but also mind, emotions, our will, all of us, who we are at our very being to be satisfied. So we're beginning a several-week series where we're going to be considering what it means to have Jesus truly transform and satisfy us holistically. Now, whenever I say holistically, What I mean is all of you, like your whole person. So I'm talking about your body, but your soul, which is your deepest part of you, your heart, so your mind and your emotions and your will. So all of you, Jesus wants to satisfy you. And so today as we begin, we're considering being satisfied in the presence of God. So please turn to Psalm 16, that we'll be feeding our souls from here together. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the lands, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. 
You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. What a powerful text that is. Verse 1, King David begins by crying out, Preserve me, O God. And then he ends the poem in verse 11 with, confidence. And he says, you make known to me the path of life. Why? Why does he say that? You know, this psalm is about 3,000 years old. So this was 1,000 years before Jesus was born, when David wrote this, as Spirit inspired him. And so even though this is ancient Literature, it's inspired by God, and it applies to you and me today in the 21st century, and it describes human nature with remarkable accuracy. This is a profound set of verses. David's soul was in anguish. Talks about his whole being and his body, so his all of him, so down to his soul and his body, all of him, and it says that he's crying out. He says, preserve me, oh God, save me, rescue me. So I want you to get this image in your mind because I know on a Sunday morning, all of us can show up and we cannot just pretend. We cannot pretend like, oh, I've got it all together. Oh, I'm just fine. I put on my, my nice clothes, and I'm good to go, and I, I don't have any serious struggles. I'm doing just fine. I'm good. When the truth is that we know we're not. And so if that's you today where you're thinking, oh, I'm fine, you need to just stop it. Just stop it. Because life can be brutal. It can. It can be demanding. It can at you fast. There's a lot of demands. And it doesn't matter if you're a student, whether you're a college student, whether you're launching a career, or whether you're middle-aged. I don't even know what that means anymore because I turned 40 this year. So am I middle-aged now? So whatever, I guess I am. You just have to look in the mirror and say, all right, own it, right? Wherever you are in your life, in your life setting on your journey, there are challenges and life can and at times will be very disappointing. Let me just prepare you. If, if you feel like your whole life is ahead of you, I have some news for you. I want you to learn this right here. Even if you hear nothing else today, you need to know this, that life just rarely turns out the way you expected. Amen? Life just almost never turns out exactly the way you thought it would. And some of you that have a little bit more gray in your beard, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe your marriage isn't quite as satisfying as you hoped it would be. For years, you just wanted to be married so bad, and you would get depressed over not being married, and now you get depressed because you are married. 
It's life in the broken and fallen world. And it doesn't always turn out the way you thought it would. Actually, it pretty much never turns out the way you thought it would. And between financial realities, between health challenges, relational struggles, and expectations that sometimes you can't live up to. Life has a way of chipping away. And I know we think, oh, I know God matters to me, and I know that he loves me. I know that I matter to God. And part of us really does believe that, or maybe you want to believe that you matter to God. But the reality is that life has a way of just chipping away. And I I think of this as faith erosion. And so erosion doesn't happen overnight. It happens very slowly over time. But if we're not careful and aren't being satisfied in God, then our faith begins to slowly erode. And our beliefs get chipped away at by our relentless world. And sometimes when we look at our lives and say, man, it is just not what I thought it was going to be, we can have one of two or maybe both thoughts. You might think, one, man, I'm just blowing it. You might think, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough faith. I'm not declaring enough. I'm not, I'm not blank enough. I'm just not enough. So we think, man, I'm just not enough. I'm blowing it. Or you might think, man, God is, he's holding out on me. He's, he has all the power, and yet he's not using it in my life the way I thought. And maybe you think both. Maybe you think, second, because of the first one, maybe you think God's holding out because you're not good enough, because you don't pray enough, because you don't read the Bible enough, because you're just not enough. And so you think, man, God is just holding holding out on me. Now, there are so many believers that can believe either of these lies because they are just that, lies from the pit of hell. And we can believe these lies and we can settle for life that if we're really honest with ourselves, really isn't life at all. It's survival. And so many people live in just this survival mode, survival mentality. But they are not truly living life. There's a reason why, again, this psalm concludes in verse 11, that God leads us to the path of life. Jesus came to bring us life. He says, come to me to have life. He says, the thief comes on to steal And to destroy, to kill, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus came to bring us life. Jesus did not come to bring us survival mode where we're just surviving by scrolling with mind-numbing hours on social media or mind-numbing Netflix binging or just life just being basically reduced to Fast food, bills, and a hectic schedule. You feel me? And some of you in college are thinking, whoa. If that's adulthood, I don't really want to go. 
I'd rather stay here. But what I'm trying to tell you is that none of us are immune. None. There are very real forces of evil that are against us, that oppose us. And we have to know who we are and know who God is. Like David here cries out, preserve me, O God. David wanted life. He didn't want survival mode. He wanted life. He wanted real hope, real joy, real Purpose, not just faking it on a Sunday morning where you look good, but on the inside, you know that you're not well. And yet you continue with your survival methods and you're faking it. And I pray that this morning that a stronghold in your heart would just break by the power of the Spirit and that you would just be honest and say, no, no, I'm not okay. I need help. I'm like David here. Preserve me, O God. May we cry out with David. Preserve me, O God. May we have our souls satisfied in God and have real life. Let me give you the main idea, the theme, if you will, from Psalm 16. It reveals that knowing who God is for you will lead you to being satisfied in him. So there's two parts. There's knowing who God is for you will lead you to being satisfied in him. And if you don't know who God is for you, then that's when you're going to get into survival mode. That's when you're not going to have real life because you won't know who God is for you, and then therefore you will not be led into having your soul, your whole being, satisfied in him. Let's dive into verse 1. He begins by saying, Preserve me, O God, but because, he says the reason, preserve me because in you I take refuge. Refuge is protection, his rest, his security, so his safety. We can look to so many things in this world for our sense of security. And David says, it is only in you, God, that I find my refuge. So knowing who God is for you will lead you to have unshakable hope and joy no matter the circumstances that you have in life. So let's look at verses 1 through 7 first. That's the first part on who God is for you. And then verses 8 through 11 describe being satisfied in God, how who God is leads to being satisfied. So first, who is God for you? So we're seeing, first of all, that God is the only source of true security, of true safety. That's who God is for you. He is your security. 401Ks, that's not security. Ultimately, your security and is not in social security. That's not even going to be there when you retire. Sorry. That's not security. God. God is our security. Verse 2, I have no good apart from you. There is no good apart from God. So all other good things in this world are good only because, hear me, all the other good things in this world, they're good because they lead us to have more of 
So you might think, oh, I, like, I love fruit. And so I love strawberries and I, I love all kinds of different fruit. And what's so beautiful is that when you, when you taste and you take a bite of something that's delicious and the flavor explodes in your mouth by God's design, this is a good thing. But it's good because God designed food to taste good so that you would then respond and say, oh, God, you made this. You are good. Thank you. Thank you for this good that you've given to me. And so all of the good things, the people, all of the holy pleasures that we can have, all the things that are good are good because it leads us to experience more of God who is the ultimate good. Verse 3 As for the saints in the land, the saints are God's people who are declared holy, that are set apart. That's what holy means. And so these are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So we're seeing here that believing means belonging. Hear me. Believing in God means belonging to his people. If someone tells me, yeah, I love God. I just don't like the church. I don't, well, I would say find a healthy one. That's the first thing that I would say. But if there's no love for God's people, then you're missing the point. Because God is saving us as a people, as his community. And so we see here that there is delight, there is joy being part of God's people. Which is why at Renewal Church, we have a thing called covenant membership where we commit to each other, to be real with each other, to weep with those who weep, but celebrate with those who celebrate. We, we make this agreement, this covenant, where we are in it together to share our lives with each other because it says here in verse 3 that that brings delight. And so the whole point of the church is treasuring God together which is why our church vision includes being a faith family where we don't have age-segmented ministries. We want to see a home group that will have children and youth and college-aging, people married without kids and little kids and, and middle-aged and empty nesters and seniors, everyone together as one family learning from each other. If you only have people in your life that are your exact same age as you, then you're not going to have the wisdom that you need. You won't have it. And I get it. I understand that we're trained this way from grade school. And you get to high school, and you want to be around high school. You get to college, you want to be around college. And you're young married, you want to be around just young marriage. And then when you're old, be around other old people. Like, that's just normal. But it's not biblical and it's not best for you. You won't be challenged or loved. You won't grow. You won't become what God wants you to be if all your friends are all exactly like you. You won't. It won't happen. He says that he loves the saints and there's great delight in being part of the people, the family of God. Verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. And so idols, these other gods, they're false gods, they're counterfeit gods. And so ladies, if you're dating a guy and he proposes to marry you and he says, Oh, I got this CZ stone on sale. 
Will you marry me? If you don't know what CZ is, it's a knockoff diamond. Cubic zirconia is not the real thing. Now, at a distance, it can look like the real thing. But it's not a diamond. Don't marry that guy. You dump him there and you say, I'm done with you because you don't treasure me enough. And if you're not going to treasure, and, and fathers teach your little girls this. Your, your little girls are princess. God, the king, is their father. And so if you have a guy that doesn't treasure you, you dump him. No counterfeits, no fakes. God is a real thing. Other idols are counterfeits. They look like the real thing, but they can't deliver because it's not real. Only God is the one true God. All other idols are fake. They're counterfeits. And so the idol of financial security, the idol of comfort, the idol of physical pleasures, the, all of these idols that we can have, the idols of success, these idols promise joy, promise to thrill us, promise and promise, and they don't ever deliver. They're empty promises because only God is the real, the one and only God that we worship. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Now, I want you to picture a big old banquet table. And on it, there's all kinds of food. So picture your favorite food. So for me, there'll be some Indian food on there, maybe some Arabic food on there. There, there wouldn't be any burgers. I don't love burgers. I mean, they're okay, but man, I like some good food. I like legit good food. And it was so funny living in Abu Dhabi where you would have like South Africans to take their steak very seriously. Like those, those dudes and their steak, like that's it's an idol for them sometimes. And, and we went to a, a barbecue once and I brought, I, so funny, I didn't know better, but we, we brought ground beef like to make burgers and they were like, no, you can't put burgers on our grill. Like we only do steak. And it was, it was, it was a fascinating experience on how to look at Americans. They're not impressed by us and our barbecues. It's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. And the Australians with their Barbies, same thing. Um, picture good food that you love. And it's all laid out on this huge banquet table. And, and this is a metaphor for the table of life. And you can pick any food that you want to go feast on and fill your soul with. Except the problem is, now, all of these foods are laced with poison. They look good, but they're going to kill you if you feast on them. And he says in verse 5 that you're my chosen portion and my cup. He's talking about food and drink at a table. There's only one portion, only one dish on this whole table that will satisfy you. And there's only one cup that will satisfy you, the chosen cup and the chosen plate portion. Only one in this huge buffet of options that you can go feast on, only one's going to satisfy you, and that's God himself. You are my chosen portion and my cup. And then he says in verse 5, you hold my lot 
Lot referred to casting lots, kind of like rolling the dice. And so it was a way to know God's will. So the priest would cast lots. And so what you see here when he says that you hold my lot, it's saying metaphorically, like whenever the dice is cast, God's in control. What he's saying is that God controls the lot of your life. He controls your life. Your life is not left up to chance. God controls it. He controls. He holds your lot. Your life is not left to yourself or to just sheer chance. God is not holding out on you. He is the choice drink and portion. And he is sovereignly in control of your life. So we can cast our souls on him and trust him. And then he says, verse 6, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So in the Hebrew, inheritance sometimes is translated as possession or, or portion or share. It means property. And so inheritance refers to property. So when he says that these lines have fallen, is connected to verse 5 on casting lots where God's in control. And the lines of the property, the border lines, have fallen, it says, in beautiful places, pleasant places. Now, the word for pleasant is the same word in verse 11 for pleasures. It's the same word. And so when, when you read this, what it's saying is the lines have fallen for me in pleasures, in the pleasure of God. So here's what verse 6 means, that God has borders around your life. And he is at work in your life, control, putting up borders around your life, and in a sense, think, fencing you in close to him. He is orchestrating, he is working the events in your life so that it leads you to him, to pleasure in his presence. That is his plan. And even though along the path it might seem like God, are you sure that you're fencing me in to pleasures? Because it sure seems like you're fencing me in to horrors. Or you're fencing me in to bad kids. Or bad parents, because there's kids in the room here today. Or fencing me into disappointment. But that's not what it says, that the lines, the borders of your life have fallen, and it's a beautiful inheritance, and it's leading all to pleasures in God. His ultimate purpose for you so you can enjoy him forever and so we can trust him. And, and quite honestly, when you're reading a book, you don't stop halfway in the book because you won't know how it ends. And sometimes we're judging the story that God is telling of our lives and we want to judge the story halfway. The story's not done yet. We trust him. That he's telling a story. And yes, it includes some pain or some frustrations, but there is purpose and there is beauty and it's a beautiful inheritance. 
I bless the Lord, this is verse 7, who gives me counsel in the night, and also my heart instructs me. And so describing how God, through his spirit, that he instructs us, and he guides us, and he is our counselor. So we can hear his voice if we would just sit and be quiet in his presence long enough to hear him. And so when you're looking at these verses, it is describing who God is for us. He is our safest refuge. He is the ultimate treasure that we value. He is the sovereign king who's in control. He is our trusted counselor. And so we need to apply this in our lives. So if you ever have anxiety that's gripping you and it's around your throat and you feel like you can't even hardly breathe, what do you do? You cry out, God, you are my refuge. When there is depression that is weighing so heavy on your chest and you feel like you're going to suffocate, you cry out to God, you are my chosen portion. You are my cup I just need you for your deepest soul's hunger and thirst. When you're feeling the weights of your failure or your disappointment, you remember the lions have fallen for me in beautiful places, and I have a beautiful inheritance in God. This is life. This is the spirit breathing life into us. If you're disappointed, you say, oh, God, I have no good apart from you. You are my greatest treasure. And you're telling me the Bible's not relevant? This is right out of Psalm 16. This applies so powerfully in our lives. If you're feeling disconnected in our world that we're also connected online and then we're so disconnected and our actual relationships, what does this verse say? For the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones whom is all my delight. God has given you a faith family. Lean in. You don't have to be disconnected. You have to know who God is for you, your refuge, your treasure, your sovereign king, your trusted counselor. You, you know who God is for you? That leads to being satisfied in him. I love verse 8. Because verse 1 begins with a request, preserve me. And then in verse 8, you know what you see? You see confidence. In verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is my right hand, I shall not be shaken. This is so important. We have to know something. That there is more in this world that our eyes can see. There is a real demonic force led by Satan who opposes you and assaults you and will have strongholds. And we'll talk about that more later on in the series, talking about our body and our mind, that there are strongholds that need to be broken. And sometimes we think, oh, it's, it's nothing. No, it is Satan who is assaulting you. And there is a battle that is raging right now between heaven and hell. And we are caught in the middle of this cosmic battle. And so we need to be people who pray and people who understand how we can stand and not be shaken because we're at war. And we have to understand this because if you don't believe that you're at war, then you're going to walk out into the battlefield thinking that it's safe and it's not. It's not a golf course. It's a battlefield. 
And we can't approach it like we're the country club. We can't approach life that way. We have to know the truth that there is a real enemy and we need to take walking with God very seriously. He needs to be our chosen portion. You have to know who God is and know that he is with you and walk in the spirit and with God's people. And then and only then will you declare, I shall not be Shaken. Do you want that kind of confidence? Don't the kind of confidence we can declare, I shall not be shaken. In the middle of the chaos, on the uncertainty, I shall not be shaken. In the middle of your fear, I shall not be shaken. In the middle of your temptations, I shall not be shaken. If you want that kind of confidence, it only comes when you are satisfied in the presence of God. We have to know this. This is life. Verses 9 through 11, he says that God will not abandon his soul to Sheol, that he will not be separated from God because of death or eternally separated from God. This is talking about our ultimate need, our deepest need is to be saved from our sin, from Satan, and from ourselves. And he has confidence, you will not abandon me. And he says, therefore, verse 9, my heart is glad and my whole being, this is the series theme on my whole being rejoices and my flesh also dwells securely. So body and soul, our heart, holistically, all of us together. And so over the next few weeks, when we're talking about having a mind, a body, emotions, our will, all of us holistically satisfied in God. And how that happens, we'll go into more detail. But as we wrap up today, verse 11, I'll read it again. You make known to me the path of life, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Yes, life rarely turns out the way you thought, but he is leading us to the path of life. And this path of life ends, the goal, the end game is being in God's presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So, no, you're not blowing it. And maybe you think, well, actually, I am, Pastor. Well, you're not blowing it so bad that God can't reach you. You are not blowing it so bad that the cross of Christ can't save you and redeem you and transform you. You are not blowing it so bad that God no longer loves you. There is hope. You are not blowing it And beyond that, God is not holding out on you. He has a purpose and he has a plan. We draw near to him. We invite him in. We invite our God to come into those broken places in our heart and to give us freedom. Knowing who God is for you will lead you to being satisfied in him. So will you just sit still before your God? And ask the Spirit to come in 
and do what only he can do to give you freedom and hope. We praise God because in his presence there is fullness of joy and his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Come, be satisfied in Jesus.